taking turns being on the wall praying. Uh, and then I know that there's a group of men who pray on Tuesday morning and a group of ladies who pray on uh, Thursday evenings. I would ask that you be in prayer for our um, our internet service, our internet uh, ministry. Last week, we had 17 gigs downloaded uh, in just a week. Um, 15 of it, 15 gigs was Russia. But if you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We are looking at verses 5 through 11. We are in a kind of a new little theme here. And uh, those of you who have been with me for a while realize that uh, I kind of set the stage. And I want to set the stage on this text uh, because um, um, this is a, um, a small text, um, but I'm sure that I can make it longer. Let's pray and read verses 5 through 11. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, that we beg now that you give us ears to hear. That, Father, that you would give us eyes to see. And, Father, as I think about my brother Paul and his heartache in this situation. Father, may we who are called by your name this day. May we have his attitude as Christ overwhelms us. Father, let us rejoice as we are about our Father's work. To your praise and to your glory. Amen. Beginning of verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much, To all of you sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end, also I wrote so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things, but one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, I have forgiven. If I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. This is a fascinating text, actually. Uh, I've shared with you as we started this letter some months ago, that um, this letter is a look at the heart of a minister of God. Okay? Uh, I shared with you several years ago when we started 1 Corinthians, that 1 Corinthians deals with personal holiness. Okay? And, and, And it deals with all the aspects of that personal holiness. And in dealing with that personal holiness, then you move into 2 Corinthians and you will see what ministry is about. And if you're saved, then you are a minister. You know, I, I see people saying, well, I think I'm going to go into the ministry. Well, if you're saved, you're already in the ministry. Now, you may not be acting like it, but then you may want to read First Corinthians. Perhaps that's the problem. 
and, and, and a simple phrase in, in 1 Corinthians is this, chapter 12, verse 1. I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Look at the body of Christ today. Tell me. Is the church ignorant of spiritual gifts? Well, how's come the Bible says you? I don't want you to be. Oh, you got to read it. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot. All right. But this text here, 5 through 11, is extraordinarily practical. I didn't say you were going to like it. I just said it's practical. Okay. Uh, it's instructive. Um, it should be very encouraging. All right. It is very encouraging to me. I pray that it will be for you because the theme is a simple one. Forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Okay. I'm thinking that, you know, I'm not a great philosopher, but I'm thinking that forgiveness is a desperate need in our society. I hear about it. I've learned about it. And you'll hear people say, you're forgiven. But when I look at the body of Christ, I wonder if this is demonstrated in the lives of Christians. Just an idea. Um... The book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. It's an interesting proverb if you think about it. A person is never more noble and never more like God than when he or she forgives someone. The most godlike thing that we can do is forgive. And you know what? There's nothing more glorious. I'm not talking about verbalizing. You're going to see this in this text. I'm not saying, you know, you're forgiven or I forgive you or anything. I, I'm, I'm talking about the action. I am talking about the divine forgiveness that you just partook of in the Lord's table. I am talking about your sin. Your forgiveness is only as far as the east is from the west. That's what I'm talking about. Truly a godly person will be known by a forgiving heart. Okay. Um, Jesus gave us perfect example. Hanging on the cross. Spike between his ulna and radius. And through the arch of both feet. After being beaten all night. Blood pouring out of those wounds in his head from a crown of thorns. And his response to the people who were murdering him was what? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Well, but that's God. Okay. Try Stephen. 
as the stones are crushing upon his body, he looks to heaven and he says, Father, do not hold this against them. See, we can forgive somebody after the fact, especially if like they move. Don't we? You know, if they moved on the other side of Mississippi, I forgive them. Okay. But how you do when they're in the act of it? That's tough. That is when man is his most noble. That's what you see in the Apostle Paul here. This church broke his heart. This church was literally attacking the integrity of the man who planted the church. They had corrupted spiritual gifts. They had turned the Lord's table into a drunken festival. They were touting a man who had his father's wife as freedom in Christ. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware of my affliction or my heartache. And he's talking to the very people who are causing it. And yet, in the whole thing, he says, I'm forgiven. Listen, this is a phenomenal insight into what I call the attitude of forgiveness. Okay? I know people who have had conflicts with one another. Okay? And you will hear this. Well, I forgave them. Okay? But attitude speaks volumes. And I know people who said, well, I forgive them. I, I'm just not going to forget. <laughs> what? You know what that is? That ain't forgiveness. The attitude says, hey, no. Or you'll hear us say it this way. Well, yeah, I understand. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to forgive. Uh, but I'm just not going to trust them. Do you know, can anybody give me the text where it says I'm supposed to trust people? Hey, you know, it's, it's um, my, uh, I remember when my son was preparing to, to get married and he was asking me <laughs> insights into marriage. Um, and, uh, and I, and I told him, I said, um, you need to understand what marriage is. And he says, uh, okay, dad, explain it to me. I said, you've got two blind, naked, depraved, selfish people wanting to be one. Well, dad, it doesn't sound that good. Good step. <laughs> He didn't heed my counsel, but oh well. <laughs> he went ahead and got married, and I remember him telling me one time we were sitting out in the garage. He came out and he says, you know what? You're right. Two blind, naked, depraved, selfish people trying to be one. <laughs> and I was like, great, ain't it? <laughs> when you read through this text, on its surface it seems a little vague, but if you dwell on it and you look a little deeper... You're going to find uh, that outline in the back of your bulletins. Um, forgiveness and its blessings. There are seven blessings 
in forgiveness. There are seven benefits in forgiveness. If that's true, therefore, there must be seven motives or seven reasons to forgive. And the Apostle Paul here uses himself as the illustration. Okay, so I want to spend the rest of this time kind of giving you a background on this thing. Okay, there's a lot of things we'll study in the future, but I, I, I want to kind of give you an overview of what's going on. Okay, um, in this text, there is a man that Paul says they've repented, forgive them. Okay, I don't know who the man is. All right, it doesn't give me the name of the man. It is a man. Um, but we do know that he needs to be fully forgiven. We don't know really what he did. But I can form two lines because of the context of whether it be 1 Corinthians or the context of 2 Corinthians. I can give you two lines of thinking on it. But you know what I find out? That I don't know the specific transgression, and I don't know his name, but I do know it was by God's design that his identity and his offense are withheld. Okay? There's two lines of thought on this text. In 1 Corinthians, there was a man who had taken his father's wife. Okay? Um, I don't care how you cut that thing. That's creepy. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't care. Um, probably a stepmother, because there is a term for incest, and that term is not used in the original text. Now, some people believe that this reference here is that that man has repented. Okay? That's a good possibility. It's a distinct possibility. Okay? I'm going, and, and, and I believe that for a long time, but I'm now looking at the text of 2 Corinthians. And this letter, let it stand on its own. And what you will find is, the Apostle Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. Okay, That means 18 months, day in and day out, Preaching and teaching the Corinthian church, establishing it. God used Paul mightily in this city. And after he had established this congregation, he moved on. After moving on, he was informed uh, of many, many problems. And in response to these many problems... He wrote 1 Corinthians. If you read the letter in its complete flow, you'll find that the first six verses, or first six chapters, is dealing with what he knows. Then chapter 7, he says, now concerning your questions. But he's got six chapters that he blisters them. Uh, their divisives, their schisms, they have what uh, Spiros Zodiades called personality cults. You know, I am of... Paul, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ, and, 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 and the divisions that was there. But he gives them 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians to confront these issues. His desire was to correct. 
when I have confronted people, or perhaps you have confronted people, what is their immediate response? Every time they get mad at you. <laughs> I don't care who it is. You don't believe me? Try it. Tell your wife, honey, I think that's sin. Pow! No, that is. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, and I, you get people who say, well, what do you think? I'm not telling. <laughs> Why? I'm having a good day. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Paul's desire is to instruct, to correct. When we have been put into positions of confronting somebody, it is because of our desire to see their relationship with Christ restored, to see joy, to see rejoicing, and to see God manifest in their lives. That's why we say, I'm thinking that's a sin. Okay? He wanted them to be on the proper path. See, a child of God wants the other children of God to know the joy and the blessings of God. I, I, I want, as Paul wants, each of you, each of us, to be effective witnesses for God to our cities and our given locations. And sometimes you have to confront people. That's wrong. That's, that's, that's a, a wrong teaching. Uh, that's a, a, you're misunderstanding the text. Sometime after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, another problem arose. Okay? This one is a little more serious. There was a rebellion against the apostle. False teachers... Listen, please hear me well on this. This is extraordinarily common. Anytime you have been involved in solid biblical exposition... Should that person move away, no, false is coming. False is coming. See, there was one of the gifts that um, we don't like to talk about is the spiritual gift, a supernatural enabling of discernment. Okay, it's, it's not... You know, street smarts or savvy this or this is the ability for a person to say that's not of God. And there's something wrong. Paul had discernment and he understood that, yeah, they had. They were fighting over married and single on who was more spiritual. They had corrupted the Lord's table. They had abused the spiritual gifts. Everybody wanted a place of prominence and, and they wanted speaking gifts so I can show you just how smart I am and, and look how spiritual I am and, 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 and things like that. And they had done all of these things. Absolutely. But what happens is once you allow that door to open, okay, the corrupting of theology, I don't know, theology, oh, that's a theology, a corrupting of who is God, you will now be open to being deceived. Okay. One of the ways that deceivers work is to attack the integrity and the character of the person who is giving truth. 
Let me just sow a seed of doubt. And what had happened with the Apostle Paul is that he had planned to come back there. We already looked at this the last couple of weeks. And he changed his mind. I ain't going back. And they said, well, if he truly loves you, then why wouldn't he keep his appointment? If if he truly is a man of God, called by God, why ain't he coming back? So they were an assault on him. They were wanting to gain an audience. They were moving to discredit Paul. They wanted to discredit his authority. They assault his character. They assaulted his life, his teaching. Did all that they could to take his place. To take his place. Even though... And it's amazing the heartache this man must be enduring. Even though he had brought them to the foot of the cross. He was the instrument that God used to birth a church. He taught them. He established them. He directed them. He led them. And in spite of all of that, that framework of a loving pastoral relationship... Many in the church had bought the lie that he wasn't legit. Church members were deceived. And Paul says, I've got to deal with that rebellion. I got to deal with that issue. So after first Corinthian, he wrote another letter that we do not have. That's called the severe letter. Okay? He makes reference to it several times in 2 Corinthians. And the reason of the severe letter is to confront this rebellion. Okay? Now, it is also possible that somewhere between 1 and 2 Corinthians and the severe letter, that Paul made a quick visit. And I'll show you this. You'll see this develop over the next few years. <laughs> um, he made a quick visit. All right? I would call it an unsuccessful visit. It seems like most of the response was either a combination of his quick visit and the severe letter that brings about the second letter. He left that visit heartbroken, grieved over what he saw, but he was also grieved over what he experienced. Very likely, and you'll see it through the text, you need to read through the whole letter, but I'll show it to you and develop it for you as we go through. Um, it's very possible that he was assaulted verbally from the congregation. He was publicly to his face by someone or some people in this church. This person here that I see in 5 through 11 um, probably was known by Paul. Um, and this person, this individual possibly has fallen into deception and by falling into that deception had started pulling the congregation and as many would listen to follow and to hear. They had this person possibly had embarrassed Paul, had shamed Paul, had done it 
publicly and had insulted the apostle. He left quickly back to Ephesus. But there's no doubt in my mind that as he left, those who would had ears to hear, he would have told them, deal with that man. And he would have given instruction. Deal with this. Why? This is the proper pattern for the church discipline. See, Paul is the one who wrote that no one should rebuke an elder. Did you hear what I just said? Okay. This would include apostles. Okay. Listen, you don't bring an accusation against an elder unless the charges are substantiated by two or three witnesses. Because the person who would do that, who's going to be the big target in the church? You know, it's, it's funny, uh, just a little footnote on that. When someone just comes to salvation, we become prayer warriors for them, don't we? Because we're scared for them. Aren't, maybe I'm the only one who does that. <laughs> you go, I don't pray for a lot. Why? So, but the truth of the matter is, who's in the fray? Who will be the target? Who will be in the war consistently and will be the, the, the focus of the aggression? Pastors and elders. Because they're in it. Pray for me. Pray for Matt too. Matt hangs out with me. <laughs> the proper pattern is that you do not bring an accusation against an elder unless it's substantiated by two or three witnesses. Period. I don't care what the accusation is. You got two or three witnesses. Shh. And I've already fought that battle. I've had people come to me. Well, you know, I think, you know what? Keep it to yourself. You ain't got them witnesses. Because you're going to force me into something I don't want to do. And that is dealing with you. It's the same that you see in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18. When he says, if you see someone who is in a sin, you are to what? Confront them. And if they repent, you've won your brother. If they don't repent, what do you do? You take a witness. And you confront them. And if they don't repent, then what do you do? You bring it before the church. And the church tries to restore the relationship. And if they refuse to, then what do you do? Set them outside of the church. Treat them as a, an unbeliever. Okay? You know how you treat an unbeliever, right? Give them the gospel. Is that what you do? See, church discipline isn't, let's run around and kick everybody out. Church discipline is to restore the relationship of the body of Christ. It's restoration. And anyway, somebody had publicly defamed the Apostle Paul. Somebody had publicly shamed the Apostle Paul. Somebody had publicly embarrassed the Apostle Paul. Somebody had insulted the Apostle Paul. 
And you know what? The Apostle Paul, and you start doing that, and you bring it to a leader like that, you have stepped into a sin of some severity. And Paul knew that it had to be dealt with. So when he left, or in the severe letter, or both, he would have said, guess what? You deal with him. You deal with him. And in view of this emerging rebellion, it really became a very important issue, being that they were attacking him. See, this man gets away with this verbal assault publicly on the Apostle Paul. Guess what? The rebellion grows. It's already evident there was a wholesale attack on Paul's integrity. So to say that this was a heartbreaking visit could be the greatest understatement that I've ever made. He may have instructed them to deal with him either there to their faces or he did it through the letter. Then he goes back to Ephesus. Okay, here's what happens next. We know that Titus took a letter. It's called the severe letter. And he instructed Titus to find out what the heck was going on and come back and, and tell me how, how the church is dealing with it. That is what is behind this letter that you know as Second Corinthians. Okay, if you would just cruise over a little bit to chapter seven, chapter seven, because here you will hear Titus and you will hear Titus's report. Okay. Chapter seven. See, Paul didn't want to write. He he had written first Corinthians. He had written a severe letter, possibly even made a quick visit but he didn't want to write 2 Corinthians until he found out how they're handling this. Okay? So he's not going to write until he knows how the church responded to 1 Corinthians, the severe letter, and what he had instructed had he been there. His direct instructions to deal with this person. Look what it says there beginning in verse 6. But God who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Okay? Where did the comfort come from? God. Through the vessel of Titus. Have you ever thought about that? Do you know that you all have the ability to supernaturally comfort the depressed? I think that's a cool thing. You know, that sure beats taking, what, antidepressants? Anyway, verse 7, and not only by his coming, okay, to see Titus, yeah, okay, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted, how? In you, who's in you here? The Corinthians, do you understand that Paul's taking a severe letter? That was so nasty that God didn't put it in the Bible. <laughs> and yet that confrontation of that letter, the confrontation that the Apostle Paul had there in the congregation, what happened to the church? 
profound. Profound. Why? Because I'm sure that with 1 Corinthians, the response is the same. With any time you confront somebody, I'm sure that the Corinthian congregation did the same. Got mad. Okay? And therefore, when Paul shows up, let's say Paul does do that quick trip. He shows up there. You've got this verbal assault on the Apostle Paul. You'll see it in 2 Corinthians. It's all over the place. He literally had people in the congregation accusing him of being a false teacher. And you know what broke his heart? Not that they accused him of being a false teacher. Nobody would stand and defend him. Can you imagine? Wow. What was breaking his heart? was the severing of the relationship. Okay? It wasn't the sin of this man against Paul. It, it, it was... The bond of love, the, the, the bond of loyalty with the Corinthians was being torn at. And that was bothering him. Look what he says here. Not only by his coming, but also by his comfort with you had comforted, with which he was comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. God had gotten through. God had gotten through. That is totally cool for though i caused you sorrow by my letter i do not regret it though i did regret it see this is human nature right there i'm going to write you a blistering letter then you put it in the mailbox and you think ah shoot maybe i should have said it different but then all of a sudden they turn and they change and they say yes you're right and you're like wow that was good (laughs) Right? That's why I don't write. Anyway, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Why? Listen, if you've been called on the carpet like the Corinthians, yeah, I'm going to be in sorrow. I'm going to be in sorrow. And then to have him show up and they chasten him publicly? Yeah, I'm going to write you a nasty letter. Okay, I was there for 18 months. Do you realize it was me who brought you the gospel? Do you realize it was me through the grace of God who brought you to the foot of the cross so you would know the Lord who saved you? Did you know that? And you would treat me that way? You know, one of my heartaches, or one of my, I, I, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I have been in this church so long, I love this place. I mean, I'm from Ohio. All of my people are in southern Ohio and Kentucky and Tennessee. But this is family. I have been here for a long time. And some of you say, yeah, way too long. (laughs) Why don't you go back to Cincinnati? Anyway, but this is my family. I have been at, at your weddings. I have been at the birth of your children. I have seen some of your children's births and I've seen them get married. That's what you call an elongated relationship. The Apostle Paul was 18 months in Corinth. 
though I caused you sorrow. You know, yeah, it hurts. But I'm glad that you changed. Look what verse 9 says. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. You changed your directions. The letter broke their heart after all of this time of them breaking his heart. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. See, I caused you sorrow, but it was just for a little while. Because that sorrow will change when you repent. When you repent. I didn't want you to suffer loss. Okay, see, yours was a godly sorrow. A repentant sorrow. They regretted the way he had been treated. They regretted their disloyalty. They regretted the fact that they had turned their back on him. Look at verse 11. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindications of yourselves, what indignations, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. And everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. See, do you see what godly sorrow does? It changes you. Listen, I, you watch people today. There are people who get caught. If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. And what is the first words out of their mouth? I'm sorry. Right? But it doesn't change them. When God's will is affected on a person, whether it's through preaching, through Bible study, or through a correspondence, then God's will will cause them to change. Directions. Directions. And that's the difference. This letter had had a positive effect. It had brought them back. It had brought them back to their loyalty. It had brought them back to their commitment. They understood what they were doing. That's what godly sorrow does. Godly sorrow says, oh. It's like King David. If you go through the 50s in the Psalms, that's when the prophet comes up and says, we know what you've been doing. Okay, and, you know, he he's got Bathsheba. He's had Uriah killed and his response is against you. God. Only have I sinned now, Uriah probably would argue with that, but anyway. But the truth of the matter is, when you sin, who are you sinning against? God. And when you have godly sorrow, guess what? Change of direction. And then. There's a change of attitude. Verse 11 is showing us that it vindicated Paul's confidence in them. Have you ever confronted somebody in sin? Um, and they get mad at you? Okay, and then they don't change. They just stay ticked off at you. Okay, and it won't be too long, six months down the road, you begin to start thinking, are they even... Saved. 
You know, it's one of the things that I struggle with today. Um, I, I watch Christians forsaking the fellowship, forsaking church. Well, you know, it's full of hypocrites. It's, you know what? The planet is full of hypocrites. Give me a break. I mean, you, the only place you're going to run and not be around hypocrites is the moon. And then there's just going to be one. Okay. But to punish a Christian, you do what? Set him outside of the church. And that is not hard to do anymore because very seldom do they come. And, and if you do set him outside of the church, I'm going to go over here to this one or I'll go start my own or I'll go do this or I'll go do that. And you just sit there and go, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. So the question that always rolls back through my head is, are they saved? I've had a lot of people leave this fellowship in my 15, 16 years as the senior pastor. Okay. And a couple of times, three, it was done right. Their ministry was done here and they moved on. The rest of them is like, well, that was fun. Okay. Especially when they run around and say, Terry doesn't believe in spiritual gifts. Hmm. Okay. But here's what I want you to think about. See, Paul understood that he trusted what God had done there in establishing of this church. He knew that he was led there and he seen the fruit of it. Okay. And he knew that it was legitimate because they had dealt with the error. He knew it was legitimate because he had dealt with the offender. Okay. So everything is showing promise. But what the Apostle Paul did by the quick visit, the severe letter, and 1 Corinthians, all right, he wanted them to have to face their attitude towards him. Okay? Pay attention to that. That is key to 2 Corinthians. All right. Because, see, you can verbalize it. You can even fake it. But the attitude is the attitude. You've heard the statement. That person gave me a bad attitude. That's impossible. It's impossible. You choose it. You just go do it yourself. I'm going to be grouchy. Why? Because it looks baptistic. (laughs) It does. Have you ever run into them? (laughs) <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> Everybody's trying to conjure up somebody. Anyway. <laughs> we have to face our attitude. If you have an offense or you have a forgiveness problem today, you know what you need to do? You need to focus at the attitude. Yours toward that person. Because you'll never understand these seven blessings until you deal with your attitude. The Apostle Paul confronted the Corinthians and says, I want to tell you how much I love you and I have a problem with your attitude towards me. I only poured my life into you for 18 months. I gave and withheld nothing to you. 
And this is how you're going to treat me? It's an interesting thought. See, he didn't write it because of the offender. He didn't write this because he was offended. He wrote it to deal with their attitude towards him. You ever thought about that? Their love, their loyalty... Didn't look quite right, did it? And they were under apostolic authority. And yet you see there in chapter 7, what was their response? They looked at their attitude and their relationship with the Apostle Paul, and guess what? They responded by the will of God and to repentance. And what What they did was right. They fixed the wrong. See that? See, it's, it's, uh, if you go ever are moving around and you ask for someone's opinion, you'll get it. Right? And, um, very seldom does anybody ever ask me for my opinion. Okay? But I get a lot of people who ask me, what does the Bible say? And if you're truly honest with yourselves, most of the time when I speak to you or discuss something with you, I am going to give you a biblical perspective because (laughs) because I win every argument. Right? I mean, God said, well, I don't agree with that. Tell him. (laughs) I don't have a problem. (laughs) Well, I don't like that. Oh, well, (laughs) sorry. And you know what I've learned? It's a lot easier. (laughs) It is. It isn't. I just tell you what the Bible says. I can't make you believe it. I can't make you. I remember that one Russian pastor threw a book at me once. And, you know, God made the statement. He says, well, I've always sought after God. And I said, well, Paul says that none seek after God. And he said, well, I don't agree with that. I said, well, just mark it out of your Bible. And he knew what I was saying. <laughs> he understood my implication. Yo, God made you senior editor. <laughs> I was always wondering what he looked like. See, When Titus came back to Paul, it was affirmed through Titus that their love and their zeal and their holy awe of God. And if you're a pastor, if you are a brother or sister in Christ, there ain't anything greater. There ain't anything greater. See, they demonstrated their love. They demonstrated their forgiveness. They demonstrated their Loyalty. And you know what? And he was pleased. He was rejoicing. Okay. How about you? How is your attitude of forgiveness today? 
How's your attitude of love today? How's your attitude of loyalty today? Because until the attitude is dealt with, forgiveness ain't coming. I don't care what you say. Okay? So I'll leave you with this one thought. How about us? Do I know the seven blessings of forgiveness? Let's pray. Father, the author and the finisher, please, Lord, help us. Help our conscience, help our hearts, help our souls, help our minds. And as the Apostle Paul had this overwhelming desire and longing for this group in Corinth, The Father, as He loved them with all of His being. And Father, through that love, through that forgiveness, through that attitude, You brought that church to repentance. And they walked mighty in the King. Father, may that be us. May we have attitude of forgiveness to all those who may even be offending us now. Father, may we walk as Christ walked. Forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. Father, I thank you for your word. I praise you for this and what it's done for my heart and my soul these last few weeks. And Lord, I pray that my brothers and my sisters will be blessed and encouraged and rejoice in the forgiveness that is greater than all of creation. In Christ's name, amen.